Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.Church, every life made different. Today we're starting a series called Kings and Kingdoms, and the name of the series comes from a song that we used to sing at the church I grew up in, and maybe you are familiar with it. It was called There's Something About That Name, and it just said, Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim that kings and kingdoms shall all pass away, but there's something about that name. And I love that song, that chorus of the church. And uh, what it's basically declaring is that even the strongest of institutions, even kings and kingdoms will pass away but the kingdom of God will not pass away. So when we think about Christmas, it's so easy for us to imagine Jesus in the manger as, um, you know, little baby Jesus in his golden fleece diapers with tiny little hands, as Ricky Bobby might have said. (laughs) It's easy for us to imagine that Jesus and kind of move about our business. We we think about him in the manger, we open our gifts, we gather with our families, and then we move about our business. And here's what I want you to understand over the course of this series, is that God didn't send Jesus into the world to give us an excuse to exchange gifts. God didn't send Jesus in the world so that we could just celebrate his birth. It's important for us to celebrate the birth of Jesus. But, but God sent Jesus into this world to establish his kingdom on planet earth. God sent Jesus into this world to bring a revolution to the culture of this world, to bring change, to institute a new kingdom, a kingdom with a king that would reign forever and ever and ever. In fact, this was important to Jesus. This is why he taught his disciples in Matthew chapter six to, uh, to pray This prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come, is what he said. Thy will be done, and sometimes the Lord's prayer is a throwaway for us. We just recite it out of memory, but it's not something we truly understand. And Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. He's saying, here's the manner by which you pray. Here's a pattern that you pray. And one of the things he included in there was to pray, God, let your kingdom be manifest in, your, in the believers, in your children, in your followers. Let your kingdom be manifest in us and let your kingdom expand through us. And unfortunately, many of us don't pray that prayer. We're too busy praying, God, give me, God, bless me, God, help me. But we don't pray, God, manifest your kingdom in me. God, let your kingdom expand through me. Use me, use my resources, use my time, use my abilities to expand your kingdom. But yet, this is what Jesus told his disciples to pray. Because the kingdom of heaven is important. King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel, the book of Daniel, he had a dream and he didn't understand his dream. It was a weird one. And it ends up being a prophetic dream about the future. And Daniel comes to interpret the dream for him and he gives him instruction and he's he's telling him about all the representation. Here's what your dream means and here's what this represents and this represents. And in Daniel chapter two, verse 44, he says this. During the reigns of those kings, The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness and it will stand forever. 
And the kingdoms that Daniel was describing in Nebuchadnezzar's dreams were some of the strongest, most powerful kingdoms in, in human history. And what he's saying is, as powerful and as strong and as omnipotent as they seem, they're not compared to the kingdom of heaven. Because God is going to crush all other kingdoms with his kingdom. Mm. There's an old saying that, um, that it's, it's an, as an inevitable as death and taxes. These are the two forces that we cannot stop, death and taxes. And it seems to me indicate that death is powerful and the federal government is powerful, right? <laughs> and, and this is what I want you to understand. As strong as you think the government is, as strong as you think Harrisburg is, as strong as you might think Washington, D.C. is, the kingdom of heaven is more powerful. It's stronger. It will overcome any other kingdom. Jesus was being questioned by Pontius Pilate before his crucifixion. And Jesus responds to him in John 18, 36 and says, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. What he's saying is, my kingdom is not made up of castles in a throne room. My kingdom is so much bigger than that. There's so much more to it than that. It's not something that you can measure in a way that other kingdoms can be measured in distance, in land, in wealth. My kingdom's immeasurable is what he's saying. So if you've been around church, you've heard us talk about the kingdom of God before, but for everybody it means something a little different probably. If I asked you what is the kingdom of God really all about, we might have 300 different answers in this room. Who knows? So when I... I, I want to find out about the kingdom of God, one of the most important things for me to do is go to the source. So what does Jesus say about the kingdom of, of heaven? And, and he had a lot to say about it. And so we're going to spend most of our time today in Matthew chapter 13. And here's where we're going to start in verse 24. Here's another story Jesus told. And Jesus says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. So here's what we see. This farmer, he has a, a clean field with, with no weeds. He plants wheat and he doesn't know that somebody's infiltrated the field until the wheat begins to grow. Because when the wheat grows, he also sees weeds and he knows somebody has sabotaged his field. And so if we read on in this passage, we see the workers say, hey, maybe we should pull the weeds. And the landowner goes, no, 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 no. Because if you pull the weeds, you're going to uproot the wheat as well. So, so let's leave it. Here's the plan. We will harvest it all. And when we harvest it all, we're going to bundle the weeds up. We're going to separate these two things out. We're going to separate the wheat from the weeds and we're going to bundle the weeds up and we're going to throw them in the fire. And this is, this is a picture of hell, by the way. This is foreshadowing what we're going to see in just a minute as we read on. But he says there's going to be a separation between these two things. So I want you to know this. The kingdom of God is holy. There's a prayer that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, and he prays this. And this is toward the end of his, his earthly ministry. Um, he's about to lay down his life, and he's praying this prayer for future believers and for his followers. And he says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. So what he's saying is, God, make them holy. And the way you make them holy is them, by them being immersed in the word of God, because the word of God is truth. 
So he says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. Do you, do you get an, an idea that maybe holiness is important to Jesus? He's saying, I, I want them to be holy. And this word holy, it's the same word that we see used in, uh, in this verse. It's separated. It means set apart. It's a word that we talk about as sanctified sometimes. And what it means is, uh, it's in, the, in the Greek, it's a word hagiazo. And hagiazo means to be separated from the profane or from the common. So what happens is God says, hey, this is a common item, but I can't use a common item for an uncommon purpose. So I've got to take an uncommon item and use it for an uncommon purpose. I can't use this, this, this normal bowl for cereal. I mean, I can't use this, this crystal bowl for cereal. Kim was talking about uh, the crystal bowl that broke. We don't use that at 10 o'clock at night when I get a, a hankering for some Reese's Puffs, Right? Just this big Tiffany's bowl. That's fancy living is what that is. That's not what you use for Reese's Puffs. You use a common bowl for a common purpose. You use the Tiffany bowl for Thanksgiving, right? For Christmas, for something special. And this is what I want you to hear. God makes us holy, not just so we'll be holy, but he makes us holy for a holy purpose. He sets us apart for a set-apart purpose. He, he makes us uncommon for an uncommon purpose. Now, the problem is too many Christians, we are living common lives, and then we're mystified why God can't use us in uncommon ways. Because we are living lives that are, by the strictest definition, common or profane. And God says, I can't use this for uncommon purposes. And we don't make ourselves holy by trying harder. We don't make ourselves holy by just like willing it to happen. We become holy as we press in to relationship with Christ. Nearness to Christ is what makes us holy. His desire is for us to be holy. His desire for us is to be separate from the profane, from the common, from the average, from the ordinary, because he wants to use us for his purposes. In the verse I just read, Jesus said, as you sent me, he's telling God, as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. In the same way I was sent, I'm sending them. And I can't send them to do an uncommon job if they're common, I need them to be holy. I need them to be set apart. The kingdom of heaven is holy and he is inviting us into holiness as well. Matthew 13, 31 says this. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree and the birds come and make nests in its branches. What I believe Jesus is saying here is the kingdom of heaven is about substance, not perception. See, the mustard seed is small. You would not be impressed by it, but what it produces is important. See, so many people are more focused on the perception of how things look than what the actual substance of something is. We're more, we're more interested in the fast start than the longevity. Um, I tell pastors and I, I heard this from another pastor. As a matter of fact, I think Gerald Brooks said this to me a couple years ago. Um, I think one of the mistakes ministers make, pastors make, is we overestimate what we can do in the short term and we underestimate what we can do in the long term. 
We overestimate what we can do in two years and we underestimate what we can do in 20 years. And I think we make the same mistakes. We focus on the short, we focus on the immediate fruit, we focus on what can, we can see, what is visible. And that's a problem. Um, a few years ago, many years ago now, uh, my wife and I and my family, we lived in, in Keller, Texas, near Fort Worth. We had a beautiful home that we had built and uh, God moved us on and we moved to Oklahoma uh, for a ministry position there, but we couldn't sell our house. It was 2008, right, as the housing market burst and everything kind of collapsed and so we couldn't get our house sold. And uh, our realtor called us. So we were living in a house in Oklahoma and paying for a house we weren't living in in Texas. How many of you know making two house payments for a, one house that you're living in, that's a real joy and a treat. And so we were stressed and we were, there was financial tension in our lives. And our realtor called and said, hey, I've got great news. There's somebody who would like to rent your house. Would you be interested? And I was like, oh, I don't know, maybe. And they, she said, I've got a really good feeling. They're, they're ministers, they're pastors. And that should have been my first indication to run from this opportunity because you never trust a pastor. That's what I've learned. So... <laughs> but I was like, great, sounds good, let's do it. And so um, there's two keys when you're a landlord. These are pro tips, let me help you with this. Two keys when you're a landlord. You want your tenants to pay the full amount that they owe every month, and you want them to pay the full amount they owe every month on time. Both of those are keys, right? The tenants we had did neither of those the entire time they lived in our house. They never paid the full amount they owed, and they never paid us on time, ever. So we worked with them for a while and then it just deteriorated and I was, we were starting to get behind and they were paying us later and later and less and less. And so finally we started going through the, the uh, eviction process, which was a nightmare. But um, the whole time though, we had some friends that lived in the area and I just asked them, would you keep an eye on the house? If you see anything squirrely, let me know. And every time we'd talk, they'd be like, man, the place looks great. It's like the yard is manicured. There's flowers in the flower bed. I mean, they have done a good job of taking care of your house. So we had some confidence in that at least. So the time came, we finally evicted them from our house. We finally got them out. We were living about four hours away. My in-laws lived about an hour away. So the day after they were supposed to be out of the house, evicted, um, our realtor said, you've got a showing. Somebody wants to look at your house to possibly buy it. And so our in-laws, we couldn't get down there to clean it. And our in-laws said, we'll do it for you. So they got in there to clean our house for us. And when they got in, they discovered that the house was kind of a mess, that the inside was kind of a wreck. And then they got to the backyard. The backyard had trash in the backyard. And this was shocking to me because I was like, man, they took care of the outside. And it dawned on me, this is how so many people live our lives. The front yard is manicured. It looks fantastic. As people are driving by, they look and they go, man, they've got their stuff together. They know what they're doing. They are living right. But if you go to our backyard, you're gonna find trash. You're gonna find neglect. You're gonna find things that we've set aside, things that we hope nobody would see. The reality is, this is contrary to the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is all about what's unseen and not what's seen. But yet in our culture, our culture says, you need to concentrate on what's visible, concentrate on what people can see, and don't worry about what's unseen. Just make sure you put on a good front, you put on a good show. And the reality is, even in church, we can put in on a good show. You, you've had that moment. 
Sunday morning is stressful, right? Somehow you can get your kids to school at 7.15 in the morning on a school day, but you can't get them to church at on time on 11 a.m. on a Sunday. <laughs> it's magic how that works. And you're stressed and you're like still, they're getting them dressed as you're getting in the car and you get in the car and you're driving and everybody's stressed and, and you can't hear what somebody's saying, but you look in your rearview mirror, you see somebody and they're going, <laughs> right? And they pull into the parking lot and they throw it in the park and they get out and they walk up and they see Pastor Dick or Pastor Steph or, or Pastor Ricky. And as soon as they do, they're hey brother, good to see you, right? That's not the Holy Spirit that just shifted you. What's happening? We are faking it. And we're good at it. We're good at, man, the worship, it just shifts a little bit. Like the song, maybe our song comes on and we, oh, we go from this worship to this worship. You know what I'm talking about. We've got the, oh, Lord, I need to receive today. So we do this pose. And if we're receiving really well, maybe we're gonna do some of this. Some sway, we put some sway in it. Like, come on. We're, we're, we're having fun with this, but we know how to fake it. We know how to act like everything's great. We know to make sure that the front yard is manicured. Everything's great. Life is good. But we got trash in our backyard. We got issues that we need to resolve. We've got things that we need to do and take care of that we're neglecting. And Paul says to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 4.18, he says, so we don't look at the troubles that we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. I want you to hear this. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. What Paul's saying is in the kingdom of heaven, what matters is not so much what we see, but what we can't see. Um... I was having a conversation this last week with a pastor in our area and he was talking to me. He said, Pastor Mel, how do you guys, how do you guys measure discipleship at Summit? Well, that's a great question. It's hard to do because how do you measure someone's growth in affection for Christ, right? Like I wish there was a meter on all of us, like on our arm. I could, let me see your arm. Okay, good job. You're growing in your faith. Yeah, go ahead. Right? But that's not how it works. Um, so he was asking, how do you guys measure that? What do you do? And I just said, honestly, it's the three things that we ask all of our members to do. It's if somebody is actively giving financially to our church, if somebody is actively serving in a, in, in a capacity in our church and somebody is actively in a, involved in a small group, then we feel like they're probably growing in their faith. That these are all things that people who are growing in their faith will do. So if they're doing those things, they're probably growing. So that's why we ask our members to make sure they're doing those three things. And the reality is we can fake that. That doesn't necessarily mean we're growing in our faith, but, but that's an indicator that we could be growing. And I, and I came back to him and I said, but you know what? I really believe, I've come to believe this more now than ever that the, the best indicator for spiritual maturity in somebody's life is the amount of time they spend in personal prayer with God. And if you want to know if you're growing in your faith, if you want to know if you're a mature believer, ask yourself, how much time do I spend one-on-one -on -one with God? And not in this corporate setting like this, not in uh, uh, some online devo you're doing with a group of people. That's great. I want you to be doing those things. But how much personal time do you spend in God's presence? 
How much time do you spend seeking God? How much time do you spend petitioning heaven for someone else? That's gonna be an indicator of how spiritually mature you are, in my opinion. But nobody sees that. See, this stuff is sexier. We can come in here and we can raise our hands and people go, oh, they must be spiritually mature. Look at that. They're very mature. They've got both their hands raised, right? Come on. Are we, are we worried about what's visible or are we worried about what's invisible? Are we worried about the front yard or are we more concerned about what's going on in the house? Because I'm telling you the kingdom of heaven is more interested in what's unseen than what's seen. Let me move on. Matthew 13, says this. Jesus said this, the kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. I know it's lunchtime and I'm talking about food. Kendall, Pastor Kendall did this last week too. He did a great job, by the way, Pastor Kendall. And uh, talking about food right at lunchtime. Um, but I'll, I'll be honest with you. I love me some Texas Roadhouse. And I like the steaks. I like the, the I'm a carnivore. But the bread, the basket of bread, they bring, they bring it out and it's fluffy. And if we're going to be honest, don't you like the, um, the cinnamon butter? Sweet mama pajama. This stuff is a little bit of heaven. And this is what you do. So this is, your, this is your pro tip. You take the serrated steak knife and you gently, I mean, you caress the bread, okay? Gently, and you slice it open. You let the knife do the work. And then when you open it up, you butter both sides of the bread. And then you close it back up to let the butter permeate the entire piece of bread, okay? It's, if you're a newbie, I'm trying to help you here. And there's nothing better. Sometimes we'll go to restaurants and they'll bring you the whole loaf and you have to slice your own, which isn't a problem unless my girls get to it first because none of my girls in my house know how to cut bread. So what happens is they just mash the whole loaf down. It's like they use the side of their hand on it and just chopped it. So the, by the time I get to it, it's all mashed down like the width of a cracker. It's like, oh, this is delicious. And I've got to spread it back out to put. Now Listen. Nobody wants flat bread, right? We want it fluffy. And what makes it fluffy is the yeast. And just a little bit of yeast will cause all the dough to rise. It will impact, it will, it will change the entire loaf of bread, just that little bit of yeast. And I believe what Jesus is saying here is that the kingdom of heaven will influence everything around it. Even a little bit of the kingdom of heaven will influence everything around it. And this is what I want you to hear. Um, if you are someone who claims to be a believer, a follower of Jesus, a carrier of the kingdom of heaven, if you're part of that kingdom, and there seems to be no difference made in any of the circles that you influence, your home, your work, your friends, your neighbors, whatever it might be. Maybe you're not carrying the kingdom of heaven in you because the kingdom of heaven will influence and impact everything it touches. Maybe you're not carrying the kingdom of heaven in you. Maybe you just attend church sometimes. 
Maybe you're somebody who enjoys this stuff, but, but, but maybe you're not carrying the glory of God with you because I'm telling you a, a little bit of the glory of God will influence everything it touches. And if you're not seeing the influence and the impact from your life that you would like to see, maybe you've got to ask yourself, God, is there something in me that needs to change? Is there something about me that maybe I need to move from being an observer of the kingdom of heaven to an active part of the kingdom of heaven? Because a little bit of the kingdom of heaven will influence everything around it. Matthew 13, 47 says this. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. When the net was full, they dragged it on the shore, sat down and sorted the, the good fish into crates, but threw the bad ones away. So again, we see the separation. This is the holiness we talked about earlier. And listen to verse 49. He says, that is the way it will be at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous people, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There will be a separation between the holy and the common. But what I want us to notice is this first part where it says, it's like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught every kind of fish. The kingdom of heaven will draw diverse people. If you weren't here for our God and Politics series a few weeks ago, I will tell you, I had some interesting responses uh, from people who were both on the far right and on the far left. And I have managed to convince everyone in my church that I believe the opposite of them, apparently, because people on both the far right and far left think I voted for the other person, which is kind of the way we designed it. I wanted it to be that way, okay? But what that illustrated to me was we have people who have all kinds of different political beliefs in our church, which is great. I'm glad for that. I like the diversity of that. We've got diversity in, in ages. We've got, um, we've got teenagers who show up here without their parents, that, that they heard about it, they came to Summit Youth, that whatever it was. We've got college students. Uh, I talked to a, a young lady earlier who hadn't been to church really in her whole life, and she came to uh, Indiana. She found out about United. She went to United, and then she came to Summit to check it out because she'd heard about it from there. We've got people who are not college or high school age as well. I gotta be careful what I say here. We've got people that are on the upper end of the scale. How about if I say it that way? They're a little more seasoned in life than college or high school students. And you know what I love? I love that they will come to this church and say, man, I feel the presence of God. I experience God here. I love what God's doing. What does that mean? We're, we're drawing the kingdom of God, cast a big net, and it draws lots of different kinds of people. That's the way it should be. It reminded me of a passage from uh, Revelation chapter seven, where John the Revelator, he is standing before the throne of God and he looks out over the sea of humanity. And he said, there are, there are people too many to count. And he said in that group, there's every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every kind of person you can imagine is there. And if we're gonna be honest, when I think of every tribe and every nation, I'm thinking Africa, I'm thinking South America. There's tribes in South America deep in the Amazon forest that you know, have never seen a white person before. And these are the tribes I'm thinking of. But if we're gonna be honest, um, tribes are defined by their language typically. 
Um, even in the state of Oklahoma where I grew up, there was a movement among Native American tribes to make sure that they didn't lose their culture. And so what they were doing is they were teaching their native language to children because they knew if the kids know our language, it will help, it will help purify our culture, it'll help secure it. So language and culture are closely related. Um, my girls, one of my favorite pastimes, I think one of my favorite, uh, my spiritual gift might be irritating my daughters. Some of you have that same spiritual gift, yes? Okay. Um, I, I enjoy irritating my daughters from time to time. And one of the things I do is I will use language that I'm not supposed to use at my age. And it's not foul language. It's not profane. It's just words that men that are 43 years old shouldn't be using. So... Um, the other day I was talking to Emma, my youngest, and she was describing something for me or saying something to me, and I go, yeah, that slaps. <laughs> what, what did you say? I said, yeah, it slaps. Never say that again, <laughs> ever. And I don't remember, what was the other one? What did I say to Abby? Oh yeah, yeah, Abby was describing something to me, a song or something, I said, yeah, it just hits different. <laughs> Please never say that ever again. And what they're saying is the language itself is not the problem. The problem is it's associated with a tribe. It's associated with a culture, right? A subculture, because we'd go, well, we're all Americans, but no, 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 let's break it down, right? Language defines us many times. And this is what I want you to hear. As different as that is, you'd go, well, you're one family. Yeah, but we are different tribes. Does that make sense to anybody? It's not just ethnicities in heaven. Every tribe you can imagine, every language you can imagine, every diversity of people you can imagine will be there. And this is what I want you to know. If, if you're uncomfortable with diversity on planet earth, you are going to hate heaven. You're gonna be so uncomfortable. Because there are going to be people who look totally different, think totally different. And we're all united. Because what it says in Revelation chapter 7 is it says that they were all shouting with one voice. They were all screaming this together. It was roaring is what it says. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Salvation comes from our Heavenly Father and from the Lamb who was slain, who is Jesus Christ. This is what unites diverse people together. Salvation comes from the throne and from the lamb who was slain. See, the kingdom of heaven attracts diverse people. Last thing I would tell you is this. Matthew 13, 44 through 46. It says this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. And in his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. Uh, some of you have been Christians for a long time. Some of you were born saved, you feel like. And, and I, I have, my earliest memories were in the church, honestly. Uh, but I've talked to people who came to faith in Christ later in life, and I've heard stories that they've had, uh, conversations they've had with people they know and love that, that sounds something like this, where they'll say, Pastor Mel, um, I want to give to the church, but my spouse, who's not a believer, can't, 
can't understand why I would give to the church. And they'll say something like, why would you give money to that place? Why would you, why would you give them your money? Why would you give time to that church? You're gonna volunteer? So you're gonna go to church and you're gonna stay and volunteer? Why would you do that? Wait a second, you go to church every weekend? When you're on vacation, you watch online? Why would you do that? Right? And some of you have had this conversation with people. Why would you do that? The, the, the reason why is that the person asking the question doesn't see the value, right? That's what they're saying. Why would you sacrifice this for that? And what they're saying is, there's not a value there. This is the same thing that's going on in this passage. This merchant is looking for priceless pearls. He knows what he's looking for. And when he finds it, he discovers someone, something that everyone else has overlooked. No one else sees the value of that pearl like he does. And so for him, he says, it is worth it to sell everything I've got to acquire this pearl. Everybody else in his life says, you're crazy to make that trade off. Why would you sacrifice all this for that? And he says, you're crazy for not doing it because I see the value. The man who buys the field, his friends go, it's just a field, but he knows what's in the field. He sells everything he's got because he knows it's true value. Some of your friends think you're crazy because you show up here on Sunday mornings or on a Saturday night because you, you give your time to serve on a dream team, because you give financially. They think you're crazy, but the difference is you see the value and they don't. You think they're crazy not to. Let me put you on the spot a little bit. And I'll, I wanna say this not in a condemning way, but I wanna help you. Because just because we're sitting in this church today, just because you're watching online doesn't mean we're off the hook. Have you ever seen a missionary? We've got great ministry partners. And we'll bring ministry partners in sometimes. And we'll have ministry partners that are in difficult places around the world. We've got ministry partners that are, are literally serving in places that if it was discovered that they're sharing their faith with someone, they can be martyred for it. And you might hear a story and go, why in the world would they do that? I could never go to sub-Saharan Africa and spread the gospel. I could never do that. And we think, we placate ourselves by thinking, well, maybe they're just supernatural in their spirituality. Maybe they've just got a gift that we don't have. Maybe they're called and we're not. And that's why we kind of cozy ourselves down and we feel better about it. Maybe, just maybe, they understand the value of the kingdom of heaven. Maybe they've said, this is so valuable, it's so important, it's so big that I'll give everything for it. I'll leave my comfort, I'll leave my wealth, I'll leave my possessions, I'll leave everything behind. I'll leave my family, I'll move around the world, I'll do whatever I need to do because this thing is so valuable and so important, I will give myself to it entirely. And yet people in the Western church, people in churches across the United States won't come to church if it's raining. Maybe we don't recognize the value of the kingdom of heaven like we should. 
What Jesus is saying here is the kingdom of heaven is important beyond understanding. I would even say this, I don't know that I truly understand the value of the kingdom of heaven like I should. When we do, it will make all the difference in us. It will make all the difference in the people around us. This kingdom is not just about a baby born in a manger. It's about bringing a revolution to a world that desperately needs it. It's about bringing life and hope to dead people. That's why Jesus came. And when all we do is make ourselves feel better because we checked some religious boxes because we showed up to church or we watched online, then I think we failed to recognize the value of the kingdom of heaven and recognize what God wants our part to be in that kingdom. But this is what I want you to know today. Everyone, everyone, everyone is invited into this kingdom. In Mark chapter one, verse 15, it says the time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. How do we join the kingdom of God? This kingdom of heaven. We repent of our sins and believe the good news. We believe the gospel. Repent is a very churchy word. All it means is to turn around, to turn in the opposite direction. I'm heading in one, on one path and this path is taking me to the wrong place. So I'm gonna go in the opposite direction. That's what it literally means. Repent and believe the good news. Believe the gospel. Believe that God loved you so much, even in your sin, that he sent Jesus into the world as a baby to be born, to live a perfect life, to give his life as a sacrifice for us on the cross, to be raised three days later, to stand at the, the right hand of our heavenly father making intercession for us. Believe that. You're part of the kingdom. So maybe you're here today and you recognize that maybe you're religious, but you're not really part of the kingdom. Maybe you've spent a lot of time more concerned about how you look or how you're perceived than the substance of what's going on in your heart. And maybe you recognize, yeah, I'm not really part of the kingdom because of that. Maybe you're here and you recognize that you don't see the value of the kingdom like you probably should. I wanna give you an opportunity to repent and to believe the gospel and surrender your life to him. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for giving yourself for us, for sending Jesus as the, the sacrifice and as the atonement for our sin. Thank you that we can't save ourselves with our good works, with our morality, with our efforts, but God, it's you alone. God, we can't make ourselves holy with any of those things. It's you alone who makes us holy. So God, I pray for every person in this place, every person watching online, that, that you would make us holy. You would set us apart for a set apart purpose. Lord, you would help us be more focused on what's going on in the house or in the backyard than what's visible. God, help us, help us value your kingdom the way we should. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the difference he makes in us. Thank you for the kingdom that he has established that you invite us to be a part of. I pray today we would be willing participants. Thank you for your love. Thank you for life. If you're here today 
and you'd say to me, Mel, you know what? I'm not really serving God. I'm not really in relationship with him, but I wanna be. Today, I don't know that I fully understand the, the value of the kingdom of heaven, but, but I think I have a glimpse and I wanna surrender my life. I wanna lay down my future, my purposes, my plans and say yes to Jesus and make him Lord of my life. I just wanna surrender it all to him today. With nobody looking around, I'm gonna ask you just to raise your hand. So if you're here and you'd say, Mel, include me in this final prayer. I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life. I wanna surrender it all to him. I wanna be included in the kingdom of heaven. Would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? Thank you. Yeah, thank you on my left. Praise God. Who else would join these and say, Mel, pray for me? Yeah, I see you up in the balcony. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, over here on my right. I see you. Thank you. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else want to join these? The Word of God tells us in the book of Romans that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And so I want, you to, I want you to pray this prayer with your mouth, but I don't want you just to repeat words. I want you to mean it from your heart. So I want you to pray this prayer with me. Every person in this place, whether you raised your hand or not, say this with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me so much that you sent Jesus, your only son, to pay the penalty for my sin on the cross. Today, I repent of all my sin and I believe the gospel. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today, can't we? Listen, the word of God tells us that there is literally a party going on in heaven right now. Heaven is celebrating with us today for the people that respond. And so if you responded today to make Jesus Lord of your life or to rededicate your life to him, we would love to help you take the next step in your faith journey. And it's really simple. A couple things you can do. Number one, you can take your phone and simply text the word different to the number 94000, different to 94000. If you'll do that, we're gonna respond back to you. We're gonna get you some information in the mail. We're gonna get you some resources to help you take the next step in your faith journey. If you're here in the room and you'd prefer to fill out a card, simply take the card out of the seat back in front of you. And on the side of the card that says salvation, fill that out and drop it off at our info center before you leave today and give it to them. They've got a gift for you and they're gonna help you take the next step. Here's what's gonna happen right now. I'm gonna pray a final prayer over you before we're dismissed. And while I'm praying, our prayer team and our staff is gonna join us here at the front of the room. And if you need prayer for any reason at all today, as we're being dismissed, I would love for you to come forward, find one of them, let them agree with you in prayer. And, uh, and if you would like to just sit in your seat and pray a little bit, just stay in the presence of God, we invite you to do that. Feel free to stick around a little bit if you'd like to. But I just wanna pray for you before we're dismissed today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the people who said yes to you today. Thank you for the four people whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life that heaven is celebrating today. I pray right now that you would reinforce what you've begun in here. Lord, that you would help them grow in their faith and take the next step. Lord, I pray for those of us as we are walking out of this place today that you would help us 
um, value the kingdom of heaven like we should. Help us to carry the kingdom with us everywhere we go. And I pray just like that yeast makes the difference in the bread. Lord, I pray that your kingdom in us would make a difference with every person we come into contact with. I pray your blessing and your anointing on us as we leave here today. And I pray that your glory would chase us and pursue us and make a difference in the people we come into contact with. So God, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you will do. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Guys, I love you more than you know. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you and have a great week.